second secret word is infant. Yeah, and it's kind of a funky place where you don't receive coverage in the U.S. if you have Fragile X. Like, you'll receive what is provided through school. You can have speech. You can have OT. Depending mm. on where you're at, That's that could be it. Um, so I was working with one one who was like seven or eight in, in a Midwest state. Yep. They were like working on reading with him and he didn't have a communication system in place. So like at school, like they were going through, you know, sentence comprehension for like a poor guy who like didn't even like we were working with like text to kind of teach him like just like how to how to manned. Like that was kind of like the base mm. level of like how to even like his mom was just trying to figure out like if, if he could tell me like what he wants to eat, like, man, that'd be so cool. And mm. they were working on like sentence comprehension at school. <laughs> they just like didn't know what they were doing out there. Mm. There was mm. no ABA available or I mean like when after we stopped working with them, we were trying to get them set up with like, you know, some some practitioner for when when we we're gone. And like the closest practitioner was like two hours away. Mm. Like and that was the closest practitioner for like ABA. And so that's out of pocket for anyone who has a fragile X diagnosis. Um, it's really hard to have anything right. be covered. Right. And so there, it, there is a higher proportion of uh, people with fragile X who have autism. But my boss at Stanford, um, Scott Hall, would say that, you know, like, do they have autism or do they just have fragile X? Like a lot of the umbrella, like behavioral issues for like autism, those could just be fragile X, like the language issues, like there can still be stereotypic behavior. There can be um, uh, social differences as well. Um, but there's like some nuances to it. So when I had people who had uh, fragile X and only a fragile X diagnosis, I would recommend that they still got evaluated for an autism diagnosis for the main reason of like you can receive services if you have the autism diagnosis. Mm. And so like for certain families where they're not too concerned about labeling, that just opens up so much access to like insurance provided intervention that they wouldn't have under the one diagnosis by itself. Well, it's so I don't understand. So this, the, your, so the Scott fellow was saying, you know, do they have autism or are they just fragile X, but mm -hmm. can't they be both? They could be both, but it, kind of i think his perspective more so was like this one label covers all of those pieces like there there can i, but I autism <laughs> is a behavioral diagnosis right there's no blood tests, yeah. there's no genetic testing or whatever i mean yeah. if there is one day that may change everything but um but right yeah. now right now you know it's 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 they do these things and we say they're autistic um mm -hmm. and so mm. Just because people with fragile X also do these things, does that mean that doesn't that mean they're also autistic? Like, shouldn't all fragile X folks then be autistic? I mean, it's you know what I mean. It's weird. It's it is weird, and that's where I it kind of hurts my head when I like yeah. like yeah like it, but it's not an either or type of thing. And so that's and and a lot of people end up like I think that's where like the issue is. It's not like everyone has you know, fragile X and autism or like, you know, no one has like, there's a lot of people in between. Mm. And so like, I think his argument is more around like, it's, you know, the people in between, like, are those people in between really different from the people who just have fragile X? Mm. Or is it a misdiagnosis? And mm. it's because autism is a behavioral diagnosis. It doesn't really feel like there's a way to really like tease no. that apart. 
Um, but I mean, to your point of like, if they're doing those behaviors, do they have autism? And from like, you know, a, a purely diagnostic standpoint, like, yes, but is that, it, I don't, I don't know. It's, 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 it's an interesting question. Like um, yeah. on the IBIS study where we're also following kids who have down syndrome and like, um, evaluating them specifically for autism. And cause that also is another disorder that has like a highly comorbidity between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, we're really not finding as like, you know, like with, when it comes to like a language delay, like it just, it, like, it looks so different from like the kids who have down syndrome look just so different from like the ones who like have, um, autism. And I, it kind of, I don't know. I don't know if it totally matters. Like what's mm-hmm. like the kids with fragile X, like if they have that dual diagnosis, I mean, I, I was of the opinion of like sending parents to like, check it out. Just like, you know, I'm, I can't diagnose. Mm-hmm. All I can do is just, you know, like tell you what some things to check out. And so I'd tell them to check it out because yeah. I know that they would get services if they qualified for that. Exactly. diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. that's kind of what I care about. But then yeah. when it like, when you pull it out into like kind of meta-analysis of like the numbers of everything, it's it's kind of skewing things. Yeah, and, yeah. and even with like, you know, children receiving an autism diagnosis here, like I think there are, you know, some times where people are being over-diagnosed just because like that's the one that gets you services. Yeah. And so like if there's just an ambiguous language delay, having an autism label means that like now you can access a lot more services than you would if you just had a speech mm-hmm. delay. Such a mess. It is a mess, you know, and I mean, mean, also, yeah, it's a mess. (laughs) Uh, So, okay, so uh, look at what what, maybe let's just go right into the 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 dissertation because I mean, you did a few studies sort of before that, but they were all I think part of it. They all came from the same sample or whatever. So, yeah, what what was the what was the 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 RCT all about? Yeah, and so. For that one, um, and so that's yeah, like that that study kind of covers everything, and then the other studies were just kind of um describing the pieces of it. So like one was yeah. about the assessment, and one was about the training. But like the the RTC was like the the main one that covers all of it. Yeah. And so we we enrolled um anyone who had a, a son who met the criteria in terms of being full mutation, um, meeting the age requirement. I, I lowered it when I was there because I was like, let's get the babies. Let's get them as young as possible. So I think initially it was like five to 10. And then we, we kept, it. I was like, what about four? What about three? I think we got down to like two by the end. I was like, let's <laughs> get them all. Awesome. Um, so, uh, and then, so we took anyone who had the, at least 200 uh, repeats, um, they needed to be willing to do the ABA intervention. Um, mm. they needed to have like the, like the ability to like, have you know you know some internet in their home like we right. we were initially thinking we, we could provide some internet like we had like a my sign enabled like 5g ipad that we could give to like someone right. if, if needed and we had wi-fi extenders but you did have to have like a certain level of base level of internet yeah um, we didn't exclude anyone for that but you know they had to meet the inclusion um requirements and then we randomized them and so like everyone had to want and be available to do the um, caregiver training. Oh, and their child also had to have um, some form of um, uh, behavior like aggression, self-injury, property destruction that was occurring um, regularly, so at least Hmm. weekly. But I kind of depending on what it was, um, a lot of them, some were hourly, some were daily, some were Hmm. weekly. 
Um, so they had to have that level of a challenging behavior and then we randomized. And so that mm. was my least part of my least favorite part of the study mm. was that conversation where, you know, I, I recruit them and then I have to say, okay, 50% of you are going to be um, training. 50% of you are going to be observation. Mm. And so, um, and the observation is kind of this, you know, you know, treatment as usual, which with ABA not being covered, then pretty much just observation. Yeah. Um, and so then there were surveys that were we sent out um, at different time points. So like kind of the baseline, the first week, fourth week, eighth week, twelfth uh, week, and then we had a one month follow up period where we weren't meeting with them anymore, but we're still sending out the surveys and then mm. checking in at the end. And so it was loosely the process. Um, and then for the uh, families that were randomized into the training side of things, I flew out to do a functional analysis at their house. Mm. So with them at their house. So I coached the caregiver through that. So mm. um, I didn't train them on that piece. It was just live coaching for that piece. And then I flew back, analyzed the data, get a report together, um, develop some hypotheses around the function of some of these behaviors like depression. Mm. And then we'd do a pretty brief training, just a kind of loose general functional communication training. Like this is prompting. These are, you know, these are communication cards. This is modeling. Right. This is, you know, these sort of things. And then, um, and, you know, after I flew back and we we gave him the report, everything else was remote and we'd mm. meet over um, Zoom like this. Um, I I gave them like a, an iPad, a, a case, uh, earbuds, um, a manual, like uh, communication cards. All of the functional communication we were doing was um, with the kind of modified PEX icons. We kind of made them a little bit bigger. Yeah. Um, and then we we started with a thicker schedule of uh, meetings. And then um, based on the, the caregiver's fidelity and the reduction in the child's challenging behavior, we started fading out our um, sessions so that we were started with five days a week and then went down to one or two days right. a week uh, towards the end uh, based on how they were doing. Did uh, the folks in the observation group, did they later get stuff or? No, which uh, is not a, a structure I would do moving forward because it just yeah. felt I had to be the one to tell them that and that doesn't feel great. And just like yeah. everyone was you know most of the people who wanted to be in the study were kind of desperate they were yeah, you know, in yeah. places without services and they're like Ugh. this sounds insane but yeah you can come out and do this if it means like you can fix this like if you can fix this yeah you can come out and do this crazy stuff and yeah. so like i got them willing to do this and then for half of them i had to be like thank you for your contribution to science oh yeah that's hard i i don't like that part about randomized control trial. And I think a no. lot of people in ABA don't, but there's ways to get around it. Like there's yeah. just, I'm, it, it, it's this funding thing. So like for this study, it was, you know, I didn't secure the grant for it. Uh, Dr. Mm. Scott Hall did good yeah. for him, um, but it was like $5 million. And we right. only saw like, you know, we're, like we saw, like we ended up seeing like 60, 70 or so. Um, we recruit a lot more. Some like, you know, um, didn't want to be like totally fair to say no to this. Yeah. Um, and you know, like we lost a few people throughout the course of the study, but, um, it's 5 million just to do this, just to do like this front and like, just to see like, really like, you know, the, we ended up seeing 30, 
30 or 40 kids where I actually flew out and did that. And so Hmm. like, it was that much for those kids. So to think about how we would have like, Oh, then we'll just, we'll just see the other ones. Like that's another like three, four million. Right. Right. And so like he did get extra funding, but like how the the extension grants work, like it was just kind of a follow-up grant. And Mm -hmm. so it was only like, I don't know how much he got for that, but essentially we just followed everyone that we'd already seen. And so we like got follow-up points on, you know, the people who had received the intervention, the people who hadn't just to see how things had maintained. Um, But still, even, even so that was a decent chunk of money and it wasn't enough to cover like actually seeing, you know, the, the control family. So Mm -hmm. that's something I want to build in, but it also then reduces the amount of um, people you can see. And so that's kind of what I was saying earlier with like, Oh yeah, I'm not shooting for 40. <laughs> like I just try to be realistic around like even shooting for 40, like doing uh, intervention. We we only we had a small team. We had like there was Scott, there was me. We had a collaboration with a telehealth agency. So we um had Joy Pollard, who who's lovely in the telehealth world, and one mm. of her um employees, um, Arlette Muhanda, who is a behavior analyst too. And so it was a small team. It was just me and Arlette who were really doing like the caregiver training and like the contact. Mm. But still, it was like, you know, it was it ran through that money relatively quickly. Where, I mean, I don't know anything about research, but where, where, where did five million go? Like, what, 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 like well, the fun part about research is the institution takes out a chunk of it. Mm. And so, like, just by having the honor of working at Stanford, you got to pay for that. And right. so, there's a big old chunk goes for that. Gotcha. And then another big old chunk goes for, um, benefits like benefits are super expensive and like for mm. like paying salaries eats that up pretty quickly and so right. i know a lot of that went for that um i traveled out and so each one of those trips like it was only like a weekend and this is pre-covid so like mm. i don't even know like it would have been even worse now like I, I i on the study i'm working on now we fly families out and like I, it feels like those trips I've like doubled, like the flight and the hotel wow. have gone up pretty substantially. So when I was doing it, it was something around like a thousand to like 1500 probably per trip. Um, hmm. But then that, that yeah, adds, adds up, yeah. up pretty quickly. And yeah, yeah. yeah, no, then that's just 50,000 roughly just to see those kids. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, the time of like my time training them later. So then you have to think about that salary and that, you know, benefit. Wow. Trying to think about applying for grants and getting grants myself and thinking about like, and then who, who do I pay? Who can I, like, I want to like make sure that it's fair. And like, you know, we gave them like a little bit, we gave mm-hmm. them the families like $200 or something for participating. And mm-hmm. like, we usually went to the child who would then spent it on an iPad or something. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, rich. Um, but they're so expensive. It's mm-hmm. just insanely expensive to do this kind of, research and so like with the, the infant stuff we've just been self-funding it mm. save up for cameras and then ipads and then right. donate our time or whatever yeah, so yeah, we're just like yeah, yeah we're not yeah. paying ourselves here but it's so expensive and so yeah. like that was really the piece of why we didn't see the other families but mm. it just feels so terrible that i would really try not to embark on something like that again oh, without sure. building that in but The third secret word is Seattle. Potentially, it was just you know, the funding piece of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what'd you find out? Well, we found out that it, surprise, surprise, it works. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, you know, very similar to like the the research for like the 
kids with autism who go through like a telehealth um, mm. uh, functional communication training um, program, like um, Dave Wacker at like Iowa, I think he already he retired or something, but he's, he's right. huge in the telehealth research. Yes. Um, and he has randomized controlled trials as well. And like meta analysis of like the research work he's done and he's showing, you know, roughly 90% um, reduction in like behaviors like aggression and self-injury. And that's what we found yeah. for our families. Like for some, we found like, even you know it just it ranges like 78 to like 98 percent roughly so like roughly between like 80 90 percent reduction in challenging behavior and this was like a very brief intervention like because um fragile x is you know like a genetic disorder a lot of the funding sources are for pharmacological interventions so yeah. we kind of based our timeline just around what a pharmacological intervention would be so that's mm. why we did 12 weeks it was gotcha. really just to get that money but not because we're like, oh, 12 weeks, that's the appropriate amount of time. Right. So that was another annoying piece about this where, you know, like, it'd be cool to just do it based on like how long it actually takes to get a challenging behavior down yes. to a 90% reduction. But that's not what we had. We had this, we worked within those confines, but we found like within a, a pretty brief intervention um, where the, the, and like we, we counted the amount of, hours some of these families got they were like about 40 hours roughly and so it took about 40 hours across mm. like three months and we were able to show like you know 80 to 90 percent reduction in challenging behavior with fragile x and so a lot of people you know when i would present at like um, some conferences they're like oh, maybe it doesn't work for fragile x and they're like well oh, this does <laughs> fragile yeah, x. Yeah. they're like functional communication training is like a pretty big cornerstone of ABA and it sure does work and there's yeah. you know so that was that was cool <laughs> I don't think you were surprised eh I mean no that was that's why we were doing it like yeah and and when I was recruiting people that was like another piece where I was like I'm pretty like this is stuff that works with like these with like so many different kids and like autism is such a big spectrum of like ranges of abilities and skills that like if it works with them, like I think it's gonna work with this population too. And yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah and 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 obviously there it's still not covered by insurance, but is this just sort of one step towards that? Is it like like how like, like how does that work in the states? I mean, obviously it's it's gonna vary on state, it's gonna vary on insurance company and so on and so forth, but just sort of you know, generally speaking, how, how does it, what's it take for insurance to cover something in for anything? I think it's like legislation. And that's right. where like, it gets like so confusing because mm. I, I really just don't like the insurance process yeah. in general. And no. having the experience where I've like worked in research where I don't like, I hate having to charge families. It just feels terrible. Yeah, like for sure. I, I worked clinically last couple of years and it just felt insane like having to like charge families for this and like obviously mm -hmm. you got to get paid but it just like it feels so icky and yeah. odd when you're like especially if you're just like doing being a behavior analyst in someone's home like you're you're sitting in there like talking with the caregiver from time to time and sometimes you, you hear about the financial complications of things it's just yeah so icky and so anything i found out about insurance i kind of shut down around because i'm just like it's just yeah, bad. Yeah. like burn it down like it's terrible but I think it's a matter of like you have to have so many studies that have been published that meet a certain level of criteria that mm. means like, OK, now we can start covering that. And so that's why the randomized controlled trial was so important, because 
you know, like to a lot of psychology or just a lot of the medical field, that's the only way that you can really show efficacy. So mm. that was the important piece of what we're trying to do with like the control trial. But you need to have like so many different studies with like different um, institutions. So like us having, you know, like a, a few in a series kind of like the idea is like yeah that's the same kids like we need yeah, someone else yeah. to validate that like come on right. we need somebody else in here we need new blood but then somebody else has to go through and do a randomized control mm, trial and like mm. show efficacy so it's probably going to be a process and then i think it's probably a matter of legislation and like families who are just pushing harder than they should have to yeah. and petitioning and then there's some change but i don't know the full process because it's really sad I haven't wanted to learn to just get more sad. No, for sure, for sure. And and you know, me being in Canada, I just happy I don't have to think about any of that. But at the same time, we're not getting covered for that either. So yeah, um, you know, so it's uh I'm I'm curious sort of what so are are you are are you gonna you're looking to do more sort of going forward, you're looking to do more of this infant stuff. Are you gonna do any more of the fragile X stuff too or? I want to keep doing it as well. Like I think, especially at this point, because mm. I've talked to so many families who have worked closely with like 30, 40 people who have fragile X that puts me like, I have more experience with fragile X than a lot of people do. Yeah. And so like, I don't want to like, it's not like I'm trying to, I just want to like open it up. So it's not so like diagnosis specific, like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that's a more interesting place for me to be in, but yeah, working with fragile X specifically because just people don't know much about it. And the same yeah. with, I really like the the infants and the early operant learning and the, the pivotal social skills, but then so many people need help with like, you know, like aggressive behaviors, like those, mm -hmm, that's such like an mm -hmm. important thing. And like, especially in like, just what I'm, I've been looking for, you know, the academic positions and like, certain places you get to like locations where like they don't have like the infrastructure to even have like a, a functional analysis and like a lot of people don't do them in home mm. or like the you know or maybe a location doesn't have like a clinical room to do a functional analysis outside of the home so then people mm -hmm. just aren't doing functional analyses there like way to get you know address challenging behavior but like mm -hmm. it's the most effective way <laughs> to do it um yeah. and so like i i ended up like when I was working clinically in Seattle, like, I was just like, babies, babies, that's what I want to work with. That's why I'm here. And then I kept yeah. getting like the, the kids who were older who had challenging behavior because like right. no one else had like worked with that. Um, and so I think I'm not going to like get away from it. I see the mm. importance of it. And yeah. I, you know, I've been trying to find ways that tie everything together. And it's still like, yeah. you know, I like working with, you know, coaching caregivers like through telehealth on pivotal um, social skills. And that's what functional communication training is and so yeah. it's just you know a different pivotal social skill at that point and thinking more specifically about function matched communication but it's still it's loosely the same thing and so like some interesting areas for me are thinking about like when um some challenging behavior starts um like you know like and addressing it at that point so mm. like two-year-olds and i mean it's like you can you can be showing like aggression and self-injury um pretty young like some of the, mm -hmm. the kids mm -hmm. i was working with were like two or younger when they were like hitting their heads against like the ground or sure. um hand biting they were doing that really young and so thinking about like you know what happens if you intervene on it at that age like if you know is mm -hmm. it even quicker mm -hmm. i imagine mm -hmm. it would be um and imagine it kind of circumvents uh you know a, a later 
larger frequency of that kind of behavior, which has hmm. its own health issues. So that that would be interesting. Yeah. And, right and you're going into like, you know, joint attention social referencing with like kids of fragile X. I'd be very interested in doing that too. It's just a matter yeah. of it you become limited um financially because like unless you can pay five million dollars to fly mm-hmm. around the US, like the family's or, gonna have to come to you. Or do it all by telehealth or something or yeah. Yeah. And there's like I think, you know, I I was especially with the fragile X population, we didn't want to do a remote coached functional analyses because it just seemed a lot of a lot of variables and Mm. um like already like we knew like telehealth would be like probably be fine but like it was still like before this was before covid and so everyone like we knew that but then like a lot of people were like Mm. "Eh, but would it would it um but what like Dave Wacker's doing and I like they weren't flying out to do the um the the functional analyses in person and Mm. um God, her name. She's so cool, though. Uh, God, like Sami, Lukia Sami, I think. Yes. Is, yeah, the global. Global. Stuff, global she's so stuff. cool. Yeah. She's so cool, and she also doesn't fly out and do like you know you know the functional analyses. She just coaches them. And we met after I saw her presentation. I was like, oh my god, you're so cool. Mm. <laughs> we can't talk. Um, but and she had, you know, some scary stories about like, yeah, and then like the the kid knocked the mom out for a moment, and then right. like, she called us back later, and like, oh <laughs> my god, and like being like a country or two away, like, ah, that's yeah. terrifying. But like, yeah. also, if there's no other, like, if no one else is going to help you in that like country, exactly, then like, yeah. people are going to roll the dice a little bit with that. Yeah, so like, yeah. you kind of like got to get over your own uncomfort in that to provide like important services. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I really think that's, like, amazing. Like, I want to copy what she's doing with, like, yeah. international stuff. Like, I think that's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Um, and you don't have to fly out and do it in person. So, like, I think especially, like, knowing that, I just, you know, have to get over my own. Like, oh, it's so scary. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's just, I, 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 have, I, maybe I'm just, like, neurotic myself. But, like, I have so much comfort around, like, I know what that house looks like now. Like, I've been there. Like, yeah, they didn't show, they don't have to show me the whole house. But, like, yeah. you know, we walked through the the parts of the house they were willing to show me. And we found mm. the, like, location that I thought was going to be the best in terms of, like, you know, just, like, more controlled entrances and exits. Like, yeah. it's an open concept living room and the kids can run to the kitchen. And you're like, oh, no, this is a, this isn't the best, like, location. But yeah. going out and seeing everything, you just like have a, a better understanding of like, hey, you had that chair in the hall. Can you go bring that in? Or mm, like, nice, yeah. You're next to the bathroom. Go get a towel. Yeah, 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 whatever yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, but you don't need that. I think you can. Right. So I have to get over my own thing on that and just yeah, just get in there. Gotcha. <laughs> well, if you can score a good position, maybe you can get some grad students do that for you too, right? And that's that's where I'm like so interested in moving into like that side of things. I've been like over. I was kind of going like postdoc route here um, and kind of thinking like the funding, it's just so mean. It's just so intense. Like you have to completely fund your own position. I didn't like, I've been working research for so long, but it just like, I was working on, you know, the the lower side of things, not right. on the, the top end. Looking you at you were funded by others sort of thing. So yeah, yeah. yeah. And then now just kind of realizing like, okay, just the general postdoc scheme is like, you're there for a year you get a job or you get a grant so that you can pay for your own position. So you've bought out your time now. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean like, Oh, you have money to do other stuff. That just means you bought out your time. Now you're free to like get another grant to do like your research there. And it's just like this like rat race of like, Mm. 
you can you can be you know I, I knew people at Stanford who were like you know full professors who got you know had to go on forced sabbatical because they didn't find more funding. Wow, and it's just like insane that like that's your like your you know professor job, but if it's predominantly research based, you're inevitably going to have these like ebbs and flows where like yeah you you had to like get hired by you know this institution, but like they're not going to pay for you for like your whole position. Mm-hmm. Like, that's nuts. So that's why I'm I'm looking for more like you know professor positions just yeah. to kind of like buffer that a bit to where yeah, yeah sure. you have to like teach a lot and I like teaching but it means that you're not probably going to go on force at academic sabbatical gotcha there's there's, there's a backup there yeah 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 cool all right well super awesome cat well really interesting I, I'm I, I'm I'm looking forward to when you get a new gig so we can see what you're doing next me too. Yeah. I'm anxious right now. <laughs> I don't know what the yeah. game is yet. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, if folks are listening, cat's looking. Um, <laughs> right on. Yeah, hi, me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although, uh, uh, fingers crossed, you're 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 working by the time this comes out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks for having cool. me. Cheers. <laughs>